So let's go back to John chapter 14. And let's go back to verse 15 and read over some of these verses. Well, let me just start with verse 15. It says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter. And this another means another of the same kind. You know, in the Greek language, there's another of a different kind and another of a same kind. This means of another comforter just like me, basically, is what Jesus is saying. And it says in verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That verse is saying that the world, talking about a non-saved person, can't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this is the scripture that I use when I call people forward in one of our services and ask people to come for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I always ask them, first of all, have they been born again? Because Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And so you have to receive Jesus before you receive the Holy Spirit. The world can't receive the Holy Spirit, and that's based on this scripture. And it also says that He has dwelt with you, but He shall be in you. And I believe that there is a difference. Every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit with them. Everything that God does is through the Holy Spirit. John 6, says, No man can come unto the Father except the Spirit draw him. So the Spirit is involved in all of our lives if you're born again. But there's a difference in having the Holy Spirit with you and having Him in you through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so anyway, there's a lot of things could be said through those verses. In verse uh, 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye shall see me, because I live. Ye shall live also. Again, the context of this, the reason they were able to see Jesus, even after he was taken from them physically, they wouldn't be seeing his physical body, but they would be able to see him by faith. In context, this is talking about the Holy Spirit. And I didn't read all of these verses, but the Holy Spirit is sent to reveal Jesus unto us. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will not speak of himself, but he will reveal Jesus unto us. And so through the Holy Spirit is how we're able to see Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Man, there's just a lot here that we're going through real quickly. Um, In verse 20, it says, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. In other words, the Holy Spirit, like it says over in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God or the sons of God. The Holy Spirit is sent to assure you of your salvation and of your relationship with the Lord is what all these verses are saying. In verse 21 it says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas said unto him, not Iscariot. In other words, there was two Judases in his disciples, and the one who wasn't Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas said, How is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, And bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Anyway, just for time's sake, I'm going to go through some things quickly. But here, there's some statements he made, beginning with verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. In verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. All of these are emphasizing how that we have to act on the word. We have to keep his commandments and if we keep his commandments, he will love us and will manifest himself unto us. If we keep his commandments, he will uh, love us and come and make his abode with us. And so basically what I'm getting from these verses is that you have to be a doer of the Word. We've emphasized all of these things, but in a crisis situation, you need to make sure that in a crisis situation you are doing what God has commanded us to do. Now, I've got a lot of things to say about this, but I have to first of all put a disclaimer on this or straighten something out because this immediately for most people is going to make you think that I'm saying that unless you do this, God won't do this. That God is going to move in your life proportional to your actions. And that goes contrary to everything I teach about the grace of God and that God doesn't give us what we deserve. So that's not what these verses are saying. You know, if I had about an hour and a half or two hours, I could make this point better. Let me turn over to 1 John chapter 2, and real quickly, let me show you a couple of verses out of 1 John chapter 2. He's saying the same thing here. 1 John chapter 2, in verse 3, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. You know, if you've ever heard my teaching on um, God's kind of love, the cure for what ails you, I teach on these things, and I've got a tape entitled Spiritual Dyslexia. You know, dyslexia is where people see things backwards. A person with dyslexia will see the word God, G-O-D. They will see it backwards. It'll be D-O-G. There's a huge difference between God and dog. A dyslexic person sees everything backwards. Well, there's what I call spiritual dyslexia. You catch it through close contact with religion, and it causes you to see everything backwards. And these are some of those verses. People read this verse. It says, Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And people say, Well, I want to know Him, so what do I have to do? Well, I've got to keep His commandments. So if I'll keep the commandments, keeping the commandments will cause me to know God. That's the way people read this verse. That's the exact opposite. That is completely backwards to what this is saying. This is not saying that keeping the commandments causes you to know God, but knowing God will cause you to keep the commandments. Those are two separate things. Somebody might think, well, it's the same thing. Well, it's the same end result, but no, it's totally different. Keeping the commandments doesn't cause God to love you. But if you really know... Well, let's see, I'm talking about not loving Him, but if it, keeping the commandments won't cause you to know God. But knowing God will cause you to keep the commandments. A person who says that you really know God and yet you aren't living a holy life, you don't know God. You may know about Him, but you don't know Him because knowing God, if you really see Him for who He is, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says you will be like Him when you see Him as He is. 
the more in the presence of God you get, the more like God you'll be. You know, I've just gotten through studying the book of Job, and man, I spent a lot, I've, I've spent days and days studying the book of Job the last couple of weeks. And one of the points that I got out of that, that Job was spouting off and saying all of these things and saying, God, where are you? Come right here. I want you to give an answer. Tell me. You stand here and give me an answer. Job was arrogant and doing all of these things. And then all of a sudden, God showed up in the whirlwind and he began to talk. And Job says, man, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. I've talked about you before, but now I put my hand on my mouth. I abhor myself. And one of the points that I made is that, you know what, when you really see God as he is, you lose your arrogance. And people who are living in arrogance and promoting themselves, they can profess that they know God, but they don't know God. Because when you ever see the glory of God, I guarantee you there is instantly a relative evaluation of yourself that compared to God, you are worse than nothing. And people who don't have that revelation, you can just tell they haven't been in the presence of God. Job, when he saw God and when he really got in the presence of God, his old attitude changed. And that's what this is saying. A person who says that I know God, but yet you aren't keeping his commandments, you don't know God because if you really knew God, knowing God will cause you to keep the commandments. Now, keeping the commandments won't cause you to know God. The scribes and the Pharisees basically kept the commandments outwardly They lived a very holy life, but they didn't know God. You can keep the commandments without knowing God, but you can't know God without keeping the commandments. There's a huge difference between those two. In verse 4 it says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. People read this with this spiritual dyslexia, and they say, well, I don't want to be a liar, so what do I have to do? Oh, I've got to keep his commandments, and then I won't be a liar, and and, uh, I will know him. No, keeping the commandments doesn't cause you to know Him, but it's just saying you can tell if a person really knows God on a heart level if they have a good relationship because it will produce godly actions in their life. A person who says, I really know God, but you're living an ungodly life, you don't really know God. Everybody see the difference in what I'm saying? There's a huge difference here. In verse 5 it says, But whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Somebody reads that and say, Well, man, I want to have the love of God perfected, so what do I have to do? Oh, I'm going to keep his word. And that will cause the love of God to be perfected. Nope, it's saying just the opposite. You can tell if God's love is perfected in a person because when it's perfected, it will produce godly actions. Godly actions... Don't cause God's love to be perfected, but God's love being perfected in you will cause godly actions. I wonder if y'all are getting this. Am I saying this right? You know, it's the same as if you're looking out your window, and if you were in a house, say for instance, you were you know, in some situation where you were in prison or something, and you never got outside, and you didn't really know what the weather was like if you were locked, locked up inside... And you couldn't tell if it's hot or cold or anything like that. But if you could look out a window and if you saw somebody walking by with a heavy coat on and gloves and a muffler and earmuffs on and things like that, you know what? You could look at that and say, it's cold outside. Now, did that person wearing the gloves and the coat and the scarf make it cold? Or did the cold make the person wear the coat and the gloves and the scarf? 
See, it's a true statement that when you see a person wearing gloves and coat and stuff like this, you're pretty safe in assuming that, you know what, it's cold outside. But it was it the guy wearing the coat that made it cold or was it the cold that made the guy wear the coat? It's very important that you understand. Basically, religion has turned it around and it says, well, man, none of us want to be a liar. We want to know God. And so what do we have to do? We've got to keep His commandments. And they're preaching that if you would just live holy, then God will do all of these things in your life. And, you know, if I had more time, it goes on to say here, I'm not going to go there because i got other things I want to say, but it goes on to say, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. I'm writing the same thing that you had from the beginning. And then in the next verse, he turns around and he says, I am writing a new commandment to you. So which is it? Is it a new commandment or isn't it a new commandment? Well, the answer is, it's both. It's nothing new. The Old Testament said live holy. And he's not saying that you should live unholy. But it is new in the sense that he's saying now, instead of living holy, being the means to relationship with God, he's reverted it, turned it around in saying that living holy is a byproduct of relationship with God. And you can tell whether a person truly has a relationship with God by looking at their life. And if a person is saying they're in love with God and they hate everybody else... They're a liar. They're professing something that they don't possess. So is it your actions that make you accepted with God? No, it's being accepted with God that make you have godly actions. So anyway, that's what 1 John chapter 2 is all talking about. And that's what this is talking about. All of these verses are not saying that if you live holy and if you keep His commandments, then... God is going to move in with you. God is going to bless you. God will deliver you. I had to say that because that's what most people think. And if I didn't say that, you would immediately take what I'm saying and interpret it wrong and start putting yourself back into a performance-based thing and miss the blessing of God. But all of that being said and explained, it's true that in a crisis situation, one of the most important things you can do is act on the Word of God. Because when you act on the Word of God, the love of God has been perfected in you. You Faith without works is dead. Um, real quickly, let me turn over and show you this passage of Scripture out of James chapter 2. And James was um, writing to Jews who were scattered during the dispersion. James chapter 2 In verse 14, it says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? That's a good question. Over in uh, Romans chapter 3, it says, We see that a man is saved by faith without the works of the law. This passage of Scripture is saying, Are you saved by faith alone? And it goes on to say down here, we'll read this in a minute, it says, you see that a man isn't saved by faith alone. He's also got to have works. By works, faith is made perfect. And it looks like a contradiction between these two things. Matter of fact, Martin Luther, I don't know how many of you have studied church history, but Martin Luther got a revelation of Romans chapter 3, verse 27, that you're saved by faith without the deeds of the law. And that became such a great revelation to him that he couldn't reconcile James chapter 2 to it. And Martin Luther actually petitioned the church to remove the book of James from the Bible. He didn't believe it was a part of the Bible. And he tried to get it taken out of the Bible because he believed it was contradictory. 
But you know, really, if you study it, it's a perfect complement. Faith alone saves. But if it's true faith, it'll never be alone. Faith alone saves, but faith without works isn't real faith. You know, if I was to tell you right now that we're, we got a fire in here and if we don't get out of here, we're all going to die. If you really believed what I was saying to you, it would be inconceivable that a person who believed that the building was on fire and that we're going to die if we don't get out of here, it would be inconceivable that a person who believed that would just sit here and talk to your neighbor about, you know, I really believe Andrew. I trust him. I believe it's true. I believe we're all going to die. And you just sit here and talk about it, but you don't do anything. If you believed it, it would motivate you to action. Now, different people could react differently. Some people could faint. Some people could scream. Some people could panic and run right over somebody else. Somebody might get up and put the fire out. There could be different actions, but if you really believe something, you would have to act on it. A person who says, oh, I believe it, and yet it caused no action, we'd think you're crazy. Faith without works is dead. So, do the works save you? No, that's the point that uh, Paul is making in the book of Romans. Your works of the law, your works of obedience don't earn salvation. But James is talking to a group of people who were around the Gnostics. I won't take time to go into that, but these were people who who claimed that they had a superior revelation and they were preaching that you could have salvation and still go out and commit adultery, lie, steal, murder. You didn't have to do anything. They, they uh, proclaimed that your actions didn't matter at all. They were actually grace preachers who had taken grace to such an extreme that they okayed and says, commit adultery, do anything. It doesn't matter. And so he was countering that and he was trying to say that a person who says they have faith and that they trust God and yet there's no evidence of it in their life, these people don't have true relationship with God. You can tell what a person believes by their actions. And you know, as a minister, I've had a lot of people come to me, especially when I was pastoring church, and they'll say one thing. People can learn the terminology and profess the right thing, but you look at their actions and you can tell what they really believe. I've actually, some of you may take offense at this, you may not agree with it, but I've had people come to me before and say, I'm trusting God and believing God for financial prosperity and it isn't working. And you know what I've done before is say, so do you tithe? Do you give? And some people see take offense at that. And so, so you're saying that unless they do this, God won't bless them. Nope, that's not what I'm saying. But I can tell whether you really trust God by whether or not you're tithing and giving. There's a difference between those two. Some people, a legalistic person could sit there and say, unless you tithe, God's not going to bless you. That's wrong. I believe God will bless you whether you tithe or not. God's not responding to you. But you do have to believe. And how do you tell whether you believe? Well, if you can't trust the promises about if you give, it'll be given unto you, then you aren't operating in faith. So I'll sometimes bring up your actions to you to show you that, you know what, you aren't believing God. So I say all of these things to say that when Jesus was talking about that, man, you've got to do the Word. You've got to act on my Word. You've got to keep the commandments. And when you do this, this causes the power of God to start operating in your life. It's not that God is responding to your holiness, but your actions are one of the most important things that you have to do. As a matter of fact, when we start talking about the authority of the believer, I hadn't taught on that in here, have I? That's going to be one of the first things. It'll be coming up real quickly. 
But when I start talking about the authority of the believer, God gave the authority over this earth to physical human beings. And this is one reason why it took 4,000 years for Jesus to show up. Because He didn't have control of this earth. He gave control of this earth to mankind. Mankind gave the control of this earth to the devil. In a sense, and I'm going to explain this in more detail, mankind created the devil. God didn't create the devil. He created Lucifer, a godly angel. We're the ones that made Satan. We empowered him and gave him the dominion of, over this earth. And therefore, because of God's own justice, he couldn't come down here and just violate his own word and solve everything. He had to speak to people that had physical human bodies because he didn't have a physical human body. John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, God is a spirit. So God didn't have control of this earth anymore. He had turned it over to physical human bodies. That's the reason that Jesus had to become a man. God had to take flesh on himself so that he could gain back the authority that we gave over to the devil. Man, that is a super powerful point. And anyway, that's a, I'll teach you on that in more detail. But here's one of the applications of it. That Satan isn't using some superhuman power. It's not angelic power. He's using human power and authority that was given to mankind to oppress and to do things. And Satan can't do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. That's why demons like to inhabit physical human bodies. And if they can't get in a physical body, they'll even get into a pig like they asked Jesus to do with the Gadarene demoniac because a pig has more authority than a devil. (laughs) That's a powerful truth. Satan can't do anything without a physical body cooperating with him. Yes, sir. So would you say that the things that we allow Satan to do to us, more or less we are giving him the authority? That's right. Exactly. Satan cannot do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. And most of the time it's through ignorance. But sometimes, like a person who's just out living in sin, they're giving Satan all kinds of authority and rule over their life. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So every time you yield to the devil, you are yielding power and authority to him that he uses to destroy you. Satan can't... The scripture says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. Satan can't devour everybody. He would like to devour everybody. Satan hates everybody. He, he comes for no purpose except to steal, kill, and destroy. John chapter 10, verse 10. But he can't destroy everybody because not everybody cooperates with him. You have to get into fear. You have to get into unbelief. You have to get into unforgiveness. You have to get into griping and complaining. He has to get you to start speaking negative and et cetera, et cetera. And if you don't yield to him in those areas, you limit Satan's access to you. And there's some people that honestly Satan would like to destroy him and he can't because they don't cooperate with him. So anyway, I bring up all that stuff to say this, that your actions are super important. Because if your actions are yielding to the devil, now it's usually not obvious, it's subtle. But if in your actions you are obeying Satan, then you're empowering Satan. But on the other hand, if your actions are yielding to God, you're empowering God. 
for instance, in the area of healing. If a person is trying to believe God for healing and they're asking for healing, they're praying, they're believing, they're having people lay hands on them, they're doing all of these things. But then if they're talking sickness or acting sickness, you actually are releasing Satan's power by your actions. You are yielding unto Satan. Here's a specific example. If you pray for God to heal you, but then you lay in bed all day long, your actions aren't releasing the power of God. They're releasing the devil. Quiet in here. Some people but I'm sick. I can't do this. You know what? When I first got hold of the tr- these truths, I wasn't acting in order to earn or to force God to move. But I learned this principle out of James that faith without works is dead. You're killing your own faith. You're releasing Satan's power instead of releasing the power of God. You've got to get to where you act in obedience with your faith. And when I saw that, I guarantee you when I was fighting sickness in the beginning, I would not lay in bed. I would not act sick. I wouldn't talk sick. I wouldn't take a pill because you don't take a pill when you feel well. If you go and take a pill, you know what? It's a confession, an admission that you're sick. And it was an action of unbelief. Now, I'm not going to criticize other people because not everybody's where I am or something. But for me, I just don't do stuff like that. I don't act sick. I remember one time I was painting a house back when I was pastoring my first little church and I was painting to make some money on the side. And one day, I mean, I was so sick. I had the flu. I was dizzy and I was up painting the eaves on a second story house and I literally tied myself. to This eave had a thing that came out like this and I put a rope around me because everything was spinning. I couldn't see anything. And at lunch, I went home and I felt so bad. I just told Jamie, I said, Jamie, I don't think I can go back. And we needed the money. This is back during our poverty days. And Jamie wasn't about to let me not go back to work. And she said, you're healed. And she prayed for me. And then I was going to lay down and she put my arm around her neck and she drugged me around that house for an hour during lunch, praising God. And you know what? As I acted on it, by the end of that hour, it was totally over. And I was able to go back and I was well. But I'm convinced that if I would have laid down and indulged that sickness and done what I felt like, that my actions would have been empowering unbelief instead of empowering faith. I remember the day that I was going to be ordained to the ministry that uh, I went out and I lifted up our garage door and it was a you know bad garage door and it had a catch in the thing and it got stuck and I just started yanking that thing up and all of a sudden that thing stopped and I hurt my back and fell on the ground. This was the day before I was going to be ordained. And I fell on the ground and Joshua was just a year old and he was just standing there looking at me and I was, I was saying, go get mommy. And I couldn't even say it loud because my back hurt so much I couldn't draw a deep breath. And he just stood there and would say, Mommy, Mommy. And he stood there for, I bet you, 15 or 20 minutes. Finally, Jamie came out and found me laying on the ground. And she said, what are you doing? I said, my back's hurt. And my shoulder blades were back touching in the back. I don't know what I did, but my, I couldn't control it. My shoulders were back like this. And man, I was in terrible pain. I was laying on the ground. And so Jamie got me up and prayed for me. And you know what I did? I went and started doing push-ups, sit-ups, 
Everything that hurt, I fought that thing and for eight hours that day, I did everything that I didn't feel like doing just to rebel at that back problem. And by the time I got to bed, I was, um, I was able to keep my shoulders straight, but man, I was still having excruciating pain. But I went to bed because I would have gone to bed if I was well. And so at uh, bedtime, I went to bed and when I woke up in the morning, I felt pretty good. I got out of bed and instantly my shoulders went back like this and that pain was back. And it was the day I was going to be ordained to the ministry. I thought all day long about calling and saying I can't make it. And I said, you know what, that's just nothing but me giving in to this thing. And I refused to cooperate. And I thought about it. And finally it came time. We had to get ready and go. And so I was taking a bath. We didn't have a shower. I was taking a bath and I was washing my hair. And when I put my head forward, you know, to like rinse your hair, that's when it hurt the worst. And I honestly started to call Jamie and have her come in and wash my hair. And finally I said, no, in the name of Jesus. And I put my head in the place that it hurt the worst and went to praying in tongues. And somewhere between the second and the third rinse, I was completely healed. And I went to that thing and I never had another problem. And you know, I'm convinced that if I would have given in to that and have gone any other route than what I did, I'd have had back problems the rest of my life. It was serious. And yet I stood against it and it took me uh, more than 24 hours, maybe 36 hours to be able to overcome it. But I overcame it. And one of the most important things was the fact that I refused to give in to it. I acted exactly contrary to it. And I'm telling you, in a crisis situation, like just take healing for an example... You've got to not panic. You've got to believe God. You've got to put it into perspective. You've got to get on the Word. You've got to pray in the Holy Ghost. But you've also got to act in agreement with your faith. You can't sit there and say, by stripes I'm healed, and then pop pills and sit in bed all day long and let somebody rub your fevered brow. Your actions are going to release the devil instead of release God. Your actions are vitally important. And there's a lot of people that don't understand this. There's also some balance that needs to be given to this because I've, uh, you know, I didn't get through reading over here in James. Let me turn back over and finish where I was in James. James chapter 2. And all I did was read verse 14. Verse um, 15 says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? In other words, just saying something isn't enough. You've got to act on what you say. Your words are important. I teach on that, that death and life and the power of the tongues. But your words are useless if your actions are contradictory to your words. You have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And when you believe something with your heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your actions will come out of that. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So there has to be a combination of words and actions. That's what he's saying here. And in verse 17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, or you could say here, actions. Just faith without actions is dead. It's not just saying you believe something. You've got to believe it to the degree that you act on it. It's dead being alone. In verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. 
And that's powerful truth. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But won't thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? That's one of the most sarcastic statements in the whole Bible. Man, what a put down. You believe that there's one God? Big deal. So does the devil. You've got to do something that the devil's never done. The devil has never submitted and yielded to God. He's in opposition to him. You've got to yield with your actions. You've got to submit yourself to God. It's not enough to believe that there's one God. The devil knows that there's one God more than you do. But his whole life is in opposition to him. And so it says in verse um, 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? It wasn't what he did that made God love him. But his, his trust in God, which existed before this command, was proven by his works, is what this is talking about. In verse 22, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect, or you could say complete. Faith is not complete until it's acted on. You could have true Bible faith, and you could have a kernel of true faith. But if it's not strong enough to make you act in agreement with what you say you believe, then it's not completed faith. It's not perfected faith. Everybody follow that? You could say that you believe in healing, and you really could believe that healing is real. But if you're afraid to act healed, like for instance, if your back is hurting, and if you're afraid, if I go out and do this, I'm going to hurt my back, well then you know what? You don't really believe. It's not true Bible faith because you are baby in that thing and you're actually acting contrary. Now, I'm not saying you go do something stupid, but just do what's normal or natural. And if you're afraid to act normal, healed, well, then it's not true Bible faith. You have to act as much as you possibly can. And so, um, verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And anyway, these passages of Scripture are emphasizing how important it is to act with your physical body on faith. And I believe that that's the point that Jesus was getting across in John chapter 14. Here's a word of caution, though. Some people, again, it's a, there's a fine line here. And it's like I was talking about you see somebody with a coat on, and so you say, well, boy, him wearing a coat, it has to be cold because wearing a coat makes it cold outside. No, it's just the opposite. Being cold is what makes people wear a coat. There's a, there's a fine line between this. Some people hear these statements about faith without works is dead. Works help perfect faith. And so some people interpret this, well, then if I'll just quit my insulin and act like I'm healed, then that'll make my faith perfect. No, faith comes by hearing the Word. It doesn't come through your actions. And if you aren't truly believing God, but you want to, and you think if I'll just act like I believe God, then that'll make faith come? That's not how it works. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And this is why you hear stories of somebody who heard a preaching about how important it is to act on the Word of God, and so they went out and did something and they died. And then that gives faith a black eye and people say, see what happens when people walk in faith? Well, you can prove that they weren't truly believing God. They were trying to make faith come by their actions. Actions don't make faith come. But if you have faith, it won't be complete until you act on it. There's a difference between the two. How can you tell the difference? 
I can't tell the difference until you either live or die. If you say you're believing God and that's the reason you quit your insulin and you die, you weren't believing God. You were hoping to believe God and you were under the deception that maybe if I'll just do this, that'll make faith come. No, faith has to already be present. And if you are believing God, then ultimately you're going to have to act on what you believe. And I can't tell whether you truly believe it or not until you live or die, until your situation works or doesn't work. There's a lot of people, I think, that don't really understand what faith is. And so they they don't know, am I doing this because I'm really standing in faith or am I doing this thinking that by doing this I will make faith come? I can't tell you until I see what the results are. If it's truly God's faith and if you're acting in agreement, then you'll get the right results. If you're just wishing and a hoping and a praying and you're going to add actions to that, you could die. You could fail and you just have to know in your heart. I don't know how to tell you. I remember in my life, I was in Childress, Texas, when one day I woke up and I knew that I wasn't trying to be in faith. I wasn't trying to live by faith. I was doing it. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I had faith to raise the dead and do those things. I just knew it. I passed the point. I don't know where it was, but I know the first time I recognized it, I can still remember that experience. And I knew I had moved into a realm where I was walking in God's supernatural faith, 1976. And man, it made a difference in my life. And uh, so anyway, the point I'm getting across is if you're in a crisis situation like Jesus is describing to his disciples, preparing them for the time in between the crucifixion and the resurrection and trying to tell them how to keep from being offended and getting into unbelief, you're going to have to act, talk, like what you believe is true. You can't just say you believe something and then be afraid to act on it. If that's so, then it's not true Bible faith. True Bible faith is not true Bible faith until you put actions to it. And I tell you, your actions are important. You know, I hesitate to tell you this because some of you are going to hate me for this. Call the welfare people on me or something. But, you know, I remember when Joshua was just a little kid and we walked in supernatural health. We didn't get sick. We didn't believe in being sick. And when Joshua was just real little and he got sick, I'd pray over him and whatever it was. Like, he had a leg that was bowed like this. And, you know, we took him in to get his shots. Now, we didn't get shots with Peter, but with Joshua, I wasn't there yet. And so, anyway, we went ahead and got shots. And when we took him in to get his shots, they looked at him and this nurse said, he's probably going to have be a cripple or at the very least you're going to have to put a, a, a brace on his leg and straighten this out and he'll have to wear this brace for years while this leg is growing. And I, I didn't say anything to her, but when I got home, I said, that's a lie. And we got that leg and, you know, he was, he was only a month or two old and he was pliable. And I just straightened that leg out and commanded it to stay straight, and it stayed straight. And that was it. We never did go back, and we never did put a brace on. We just did stuff. So when he was young, I took authority over him, and I prayed, and I commanded sickness to leave, and I commanded that leg to be straight and things. And we lived that way for about three, probably three to four years. But Joshua got born again when he was three years old, spoke in tongues. He called out healings. He had a man. He, he got up in one of my meetings, and he said, there's somebody here with a broken leg. 
and God's going to heal it. Three and a half years old. And this guy stood up and he says, I think you're a crook. But he says, that kid couldn't be doing this wrong. He says, my leg is broken. And he says, and he received it and he got healed and born again. And Joshua was operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit when he was three and a half years old. And so up until that time, I just prayed over him and I got him healed off of my faith. And then when he was about four years old, he started getting sick. I prayed and rebuked it and the fever didn't left. And Joshua was just dragging around and he wouldn't get up. He wouldn't play. He would just lay down. He felt bad. And for about a day or maybe a day and a half, man, I was rebuking and binding and praying in tongues and doing everything I knew. And I wasn't seeing the right results. And I was praying in tongues and saying, God, what's wrong? And here's what the Lord spoke to me. He said, he's born again. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit. He knows he is now old enough that he needs to act on his faith. And so, you know what? I called Joshua in and I told him, I said, I'm going to pray over you one more time and you're going to get up and go out and play and start acting like you're well. And so I prayed over him and rebuked all of this stuff. And I said, now you get up and start playing. You go outside. And he just went over and laid down. And I got him and I said, Joshua... I said, I don't know if you understand this, but you're well and you are going to act well. And I said, if you don't get up and start acting like you're well, I'm going to spank you. I know some of you think that's terrible. But you know what? He understood that. And he got up and started playing. Within 10 minutes, he was totally over it and he was well because I got him to start acting like he was well and putting himself into agreement instead of giving in to his feelings and his emotions. And you can sit there and criticize it, but both my boys, until they got on their own and went out and did drugs on their own, they never were sick. Matter of fact, I remember when Peter went to get a physical so that he could play baseball, the nurse came running in and she says, is this your blood? And she had this vial of blood. And he says, I don't know. And says, we have never seen blood like this. Said this is the healthiest, purest blood because he never got a, he had never taken a pill, he had never gotten an inoculation, he had never gotten a shot, and they were just amazed. They said we've never seen blood like this, and you know what? My kids walked in supernatural, divine health because we didn't pamper them. If they got sick, they didn't get to stay home and lay in bed and drink sodas and watch TV. If they got sick, they got prayed for, and we made them get up and act like they're well. And because of it, our kids, I mean, Peter went probably 8, 17 years before he ever got sick. One time he tried to dye his hair, and he poured peroxide in his eye, and that was pretty bad. And uh, we did take him in because they put something to neutralize it. I didn't have anything to neutralize. I didn't know what to do, and so we took him into an emergency room, and that's the only thing he had until he left home. And you can sit there and criticize that and think, man, that's hard and stuff. But you know what? It's all this principle about faith without works is dead. And as long as they were under my dominion and under my roof, they were going to act like they believed the Word of God. And it worked. Amen. I know some of you think that's terrible, but it works. And you know what? We need to discipline ourselves that if you say you believe something, then act like you believe it. If you believe God is supplying your needs, start acting like God's supplying your needs and start making plans and start planning on seeing prosperity. And, and you know, man, when I was believing God for my first million dollars, I still hadn't got a million dollar check, but when I was believing God for my first million dollars, I sat down and divided up how much I was going to give away, what I would do with this, and I still have that on my computer. 
And I made that list, I couldn't tell you for sure, but that must have been 82 or 83. I sat down and planned what I was going to do with my abundance. I started making plans. I started thinking and acting and talking in agreement with it. And it works. There's some people who say, oh God, I believe you're supplying my need. And then you go out and apply for welfare. Completely contrary to what you believe that you're, what you're praying God for. Some people will pray for healing and then you go sit down and somebody says, how are you? And you start telling them how bad it is and you start making plans to, you know, I can't go out and play golf anymore, man. I don't think I'll ever be able to play golf again. And you don't, you start acting contrary to what you're believing and then wonder why you have problems. This is one of the problems that I have with people when I pray for them and then they go to a doctor. It's not that I'm against doctors. If it wasn't for doctors, Christians would have been dead because they weren't trusting God. And I've got friends that are doctors, so I'm not against doctors. They're just using natural things. But, you know, I've actually told people, people said, so do I take this medicine now that you've prayed for me? What should I do? And I said, it just depends on what you believe. I can't tell you that you should quit medicine because if you aren't trusting God, you might need that medicine. That might be the only thing that's keeping you alive. But you know what? If you're believing God, eventually you're going to have to start acting like a person who is well. And I've told people before, I said, you know why I don't take those pills? They say, why? I said, because I don't have what you believe you have. A well person doesn't do this. You know, I hadn't got anything against veterinarians, but I wouldn't take my dog to a vet. You know why? Don't have a dog. <laughs> if you got a dog, maybe you ought to take it to the vet. But I don't have a dog, so I don't take it to the vet. You know why I don't go to the doctor? Because I'm not sick. <laughs> if you aren't sick, you don't go to the doctor. You don't take pills. Eventually, you're going to have to get to where you start acting in agreement with what you believe. Man, that's so simple. You've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand this. But I tell you what, this is just... Con- There's so many Christians that will sit there and do things completely contrary to what they say they're believing. Matter of fact, I was actually teaching uh, in a Bible study in Lamar, Colorado, and a guy came in that I'd never met before, but anyway, it's a long story. I let him minister, and he got up and preached on healing, and his message was pretty good. And there was a woman, Pauline McCorkle, who came forward, and her husband had forced her to go to the doctor because she just was tired and he made her go to the doctor. The doctor diagnosed her with diabetes and told her she had to start taking insulin shots. So the very first thing she did, the same day she got that diagnosis, was come to, to my Bible study, and this guy ministered on healing. And then she came up to get prayer. So he prayed for her and believed she was healed, and he says, now, you do what that doctor says. You shoot yourself with insulin, and every time you shoot yourself, say, by his stripes, I am healed. And when he said that, boy, Pauline looked over at me like, what do you think about this? And I said, no way, buddy. I said, if she really believes she's healed, she doesn't have to take those. And you know what? She never took those insulin shots. And she, as a matter of fact, Pauline McCorkle is uh, Lawson's aunt. You can ask him about it. And she's free and she's never had a problem with that. And if she would have started acting and taking that insulin while she was saying, by his stripes, I believe I'm healed, it would have stopped her faith from working. Faith without works is dead. So that's an important truth. Amen. You're dismissed.